Welcome to Macintosh and Mod. Haven't seen what? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we watched Gattaca. A genetically inferior man assumes the identity of a superior one in order to pursue his lifelong dream of space travel. Mm. You know, there's the old adage that they don't make movies like this anymore. Mm -hmm. They really don't make movies like this anymore. No, they really don't. With the exception of this past year, we've we've started coming out of some movies as like, so this is why you make movies. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because you get to do stuff like this. And this is one of those movies for me. That's cool. I mean, I'm not going to say that this is a perfect film no. by any stretch. And part of it is simply just because there's some greenness with a lot of people involved. Mm-hmm. But the ambition yeah. and the thought that was put into this film. I mean, I love this film. I saw it back in the 90s and I really loved it. And I loved how futuristic it was. And now watching it, I'm like, oh, we don't get some of the Christopher Nolan shit without this. This to me doesn't feel like a movie that's ever really been signposted or sort of been this deep influence on anybody. It feels of its own sort of thing. It just stands apart as its own little pocket of movie. It kind of is. And yet, <laughs> there are so many films that we've seen since then that toy with these concepts. And also, this film has a very specific world that is very well fleshed out. Yeah. And to me, I think that was the most exciting part is that they built a sandbox mm -hmm. they then really tried to spend as much time as they could getting the details right on that sandbox so that it all felt cohesive because mm -hmm. all too often we get directors who create a world like this but then it's just completely scattershot what they do with it mm -hmm. instead you really tried to nail everything and it reads into the final picture it's you know if there's one fault I have with it, it's some inexperience and it just drags a little bit every once in a while, but it's not in a way that it fully takes me out of the movie. Okay. It's it. And we will talk about, but this is, this is at a time in almost everyone's career here mm -hmm. when it's really a sort of just before they broke through moment or just after they broke through moment for some of them. Mm-hmm. This is one of those movies that really sits in a weird part of history. What I will say is not not so much Nolan signpost to me, but you don't get a whole lot of 2000s movies mm -hmm, without this. All that dark color palette and super mm -hmm. stylized and the weirdness that they all pulled and they all did a terrible job of. This movie did it several years before all of them and they did it well because it was in service of their vision. Well, and then this is where we I, I really feel like we start to get into all of that futuristic signposting where we, we start to get all that early 2000 futuristic world shit. It's like, okay, we've made it to the year 2000. Here's what we thought it might look like. And it doesn't, but let's go with it. But as we talk about the choices made in representing this future world are fascinating. Oh, yeah. Because they are very specifically tying to a specific time period in the past. Yep. Which 
plays really well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and here's the thing. A lot of sci-fi films that deal with the future do that. They pick an era and they elevate it a little bit. You see this all over the fucking place with Westworld specifically. Also, we don't get Westworld, the show, without a movie like this. So a lot of people do that, right? They, they, because they saw this film. Mm-hmm. This movie's actually, I think, doing something really clever mm-hmm. by referencing that. Because what they've done is they've created a world in the image of all of these older people who want to hearken back to this perfection of a past society. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's why it's set up that way sure. and it plays so well because you're like it's the future everything's shiny but also everything feels slightly oppressive and it's like oh yeah because the people in power remade the world the way they wanted it oh you mean that is also what is in keeping in that watching this film today in the year 2022 it is 100 percent relevant it is however the world they want to create is so much dumber than Gattaca <laughs> true like it's true but i also want to point out gattaca not super diverse it's it's just oh we're gonna we're gonna talk about some other parallels here it's not super diverse and um it's still hard to be a woman so yeah for real no it's it's a fascinating little movie and it's it's interesting how many imitators it did wind up having that never ever reached the either the ambition in the storytelling or the result of solid storytelling that this movie did, which is kind of impressive considering some of the other stuff that went on after this film for some people. All right, well, let's talk about the budget. Mm-hmm. This movie costs thirty six million dollars to make. OK, there's a lot going on on this mm-hmm. set. It made $12,500,000. This was not a financial success. No, I knew that. That's a 33% of your returns. Not great for a movie on this scale. No. But it has since become such a cult classic for so many people. Because when you tell a good story, if it's not financially viable at the time, people will seek it out. Mm -hmm. The people who saw it remembered it. And then it got passed through and it became a cable thing. And I, this movie's always been on my list as a mm-hmm. sci-fi movie. And then I just never got around to watching it. And now I'm just like, oh, my God, in my like deep sci-fi phase, this would have been so amazing to me. Oh, yeah. Mind-blowing. <laughs> a notable producer on the film, which we don't often do, but I've got to mention this because Danny DeVito. Interesting. Is not an executive producer of this film. He is... The producer they have screenshots of them on set with our director, and Danny's there, like full on engaged. Hmm. Let, let, let me give you his credits on production because we all know about Danny DeVito as an actor, and I don't need to go through all of that. But mm-hmm. before this, he produced Hoffa, Reality Bites, Eight Seconds. He was an exec producer on Pulp Fiction, Get Shorty, Matilda, and Feeling Minnesota. After this, he produces Out of Sight, Man on the Moon, Drowning Mona, Aaron Brockovich, How High, Camp, Along Came Polly. He's an exec producer on Garden State, Be Cool, and he's an exec producer on Reno 911. Huh. The man just picks projects he thinks are cool? Well, and then there's also a lot of people in there that he's following. hmm And some of it, too, like Get Shorty, Man on the Moon, he's in those. But like reality bites, 
Reality Bites, Eight Seconds, This, All Have Ethan Hawk. I mean, yeah. 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 And then, you know, Get Shorty, Pulp Fiction, This, Uma Thurman, Aaron Brockovich, Mona Lisa Smile. It's got Julie Roberts. He's, I mean, he's picking very well. The cross section is fascinating, but just like the fact that a story on this scale and this ambition, and he's not in the film, but he's right there in the mix of helping Mm -hmm. make this movie. Man's a creative legend, and he created his own limoncello. I can't, I can't be mad. Hmm. All right, let's talk about our writer and our director. Oh, okay. We'll start with the writing. The gentleman's name is Andrew Nickel. Okay. This is his debut feature on both fronts. After this, he wrote The Truman Show. Oh, okay. Then he wrote and directed Simone. (gasps) I love that movie. That's another one that just, if you don't know about it, you've got to go see that. He wrote The Terminal. He wrote and directed Lord of War, In Time, The Host, the Stephanie Meyer novel movie. Yeah, Mm mm-hmm. Good Kill with Ethan Hawke. Oh. And Anon. And coming soon, don't get too excited because it's not expected until July 2027. Oh, jeez. He wrote Monopoly about, quote, a boy from the game's modest Baltic Avenue on a quest to make a fortune, unquote. Okay, that is funny and a great hook. Um, Kevin Hart will be the, uh, the boy, I believe, or at least he's currently slated to star. So there you go. This guy is amazing at building a world. Yes, he is. That is his fucking bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Wow. And this is this is your first at bat? Damn. To be fair to him, I think he'd had some music videos and other stuff involved there, some shorts and stuff. He, he'd been in and around the industry for sure. Sure. Clearly, this is a vision that had been percolating for a long time for him. But to get a one-two writing punch, just the writing mm-hmm. of this and then The Truman Show. Did he also direct The Truman Show? He did not direct The Truman Show. That was Peter Weir, who is a legend in his own right. But I mean, I love The Truman Show. Again, it's it's an amazing story, as is this. I, I mean, I think that above anything else is what makes this film a success. The story makes sense. It's an un, it's it's just that classic I I'm going to put a person who just has really high hopes and I'm going to stack the de- deck against them and then I'm going to engineer a world specifically that stacks the deck even more against this guy and we're going to fall we're going to we're going to watch him succeed. It, it's a, it's a great concept. The amount of effort he put into making the world real, Mm -hmm. the amount of subtlety he was willing to develop within a story that sci-fi movies are not very subtle most of the time. That's kind of on purpose in many ways. Mm -hmm. But this doesn't feel as much of a sci-fi movie as it feels like a sci-fi novel. This feels like a Ray Bradbury story. Oh, yeah, it totally could be. It just got transported out of the ether. And it came all out of this dude's head to have something that fully flushed out with all of the little details. And I'm going to get into all of the details that he put in here because mm-hmm. he is name dropping and reference dropping like crazy, which just builds out this whole world. But the the level of attention that was put into crafting everything so very specifically and thoughtfully to try to make a point is 
undeniable in this movie. And the fact that I everything I'd ever seen about this movie made me think it was going to be dour and gloomy. And it's got its fair share of moments, but it's also funny and sly and clever. They have fun with it. And they also, occasionally, they have people living in this world, just accepting that this is their reality, going, this is dumb. <laughs> like, they just got, like, at a certain point, you just, they're, like, they're just like, this is ridiculous. And the best moment for me that proves that is towards the end when the doctor lets our guy know, I know. I've known this whole time. I, I just. It, but we had everyone breathing down our neck. There's nothing I could do. Yeah. And also just that tiny thing of left-handed guys don't hold it with their right. Mm-hmm. For future reference, right-handed men don't hold it with their left. Just one of those things. You don't miss your flight, Vincent. Which is both like, holy fuck, that's 100% true, but also, yeah, that's something he would notice, and he's known this entire time. I love it. I love it so much. It's not a pessimistic movie at all. No. And then it like tries to shift genre about three or four different times, but never feels like it's going off the rails when it's doing it. It doesn't spend too much time doing that. I don't feel at any moment it loses its way because, you know, he meets this girl. Okay. Like, is this, is she gonna reveal it? Is she gonna derail his ambition? No. It's just a part of the complexity of living this this lie that he's chosen for his dream. It's 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 great. And again, like I said, that's why it, it, it almost has that novel structure way more for me of like those books would go in like five different directions mm-hmm. all in one narrative, but it would yeah. still be taught and you would follow through the whole story like it would never pull you. And this mm-hmm. feels exactly that same way. It doesn't feel like the sort of outlandish science fiction we're used to from movies and especially American movies. Yeah. And a note there that Nickel is a Kiwi. So that, uh, that changes a little bit on how he might be doing that. All right. Let's talk about some of these, uh, some, there's so many of them, the details that he put in intention to the script, including names and terms. So Vincent as a name means literally he shall conquer. Mm. which is what a Freeman, his last name, Mm. would do. Eugene, which is Jerome's middle name, comes from the Greek for well-born, which also ties directly into the theme of eugenics. Of course. Detective Hugo Coldspring is a reference to the Human Genome Organization, which operates out of Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory. Oh, very cool. Hugo, human genome. Very nice. (laughs) Love it. Irene's last name is Cassini, which is a reference to the 17th century astronomer who discovered the gap in Saturn's main rings and Saturn's icy moons. NASA launched the Cassini satellite in 1997 and the Huygens space probe, which in 2005 dropped onto Titan and discovered solid ground underneath the thick clouds. 
This was where Vincent was flying to at the end of the film. Alright. What's Titan like this time of year? <laughs> What's Titan like? Titan is exactly like this. All the time. It's got a cloud around it, so thick nobody can tell what's underneath. Maybe there's nothing there. There's something there. The man did his fucking research. Mm-hmm. The agents being called Hoovers is a reference to the vacuums that they used, and also head of the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover. And when Vincent says he was conceived in the Detroit variety of Riviera, his parents are in fact making love in the back of a 1971 Buick Riviera. All right. All the details. Mm -hmm. They're so good. All right. A note on the title. While Gattaca is an obvious reference to DNA bases, the bases being adenine, thymine, cytosine, guanine, this specific arrangement references tests to measure, quote, short tandem repeats at specific locations. Hmm. Those repeats are typically known as GATA or CA repeats, hence why they came up with Gattaca for the title of the film. Hmm. This is how they would look at the genetic makeup and find the repeats in the sequences to figure out the decoding the genome and stuff. However, there was a title that could have been better, perhaps. Oh. It was shot under the title The Eighth Day, which is a reference to the biblical creation done in seven days. Mm -hmm. It implies that man tempers with God what God has made, and the eighth day is the name of the center of child engineering. This is not shown in the cut that we see, but in deleted scenes, we are shown that that is the name of that. Hmm. Because the film wasn't released for some time, another film that was... International came out under the title The Eighth Day, so Nickel had to change the name to Gattaca instead. Okay. So that's our writing. Now we switch over and talk about what we think of his directing. I think the directing is pretty good. It's not particularly fantastical in what we we tend to expect in a sci-fi film, but I think that actually helps this movie. This isn't supposed to be a fantastical movie. Exactly. I feel like the directing is a little more subtle. And so that makes, I think that just helps elevate the story a little bit. Um, It's, it's, it's pretty much unnoticeable, but that's fine. Andrew Nichol did what Steven Spielberg was not able to do in Minority Report, Mm -hmm. which is tie the whole world together. Steven Spielberg didn't pull that off. No, we talked about it a lot. Oh, yeah. And this, everything ties together. All Mm -hmm. the specific choices, all the little details. Again, the problems I have are that on occasion, he's just taking a little too long to get past a certain point. Mm -hmm. We can linger sometimes with certain stuff that just doesn't quite make sense in the moment. Some of the romance between Vincent and Irene can be just a little hammy and not not as believable as some of the other parts. But then just when it feels on the verge of that, he pulls the intrigue right back in because the story is moving along. So it's not one of those things where it's like he's doing a bad job. It's just that on occasion, again, because this is his first ever freaking movie, it's just dragging a little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, a little bit. But then just all the choices of how to do this, like 
looking at all of the the style and the way he came up with this so the futuristic style is all taken from brutalist architecture in and around locations where they were it's all older buildings so the two massive arches that jerome and irene are talking in front of are the spillway of the sepulveda dam in la that was built in the 1930s okay the interiors and exteriors of the Gattaca building, for the most part, are part of the Marin County Civic Center in San Rafael, California. All of that was built by Frank Lloyd Wright. Mm. It was his largest ever design. It was built mostly after his death. And that central dome that we see when they're cleaning the roof, yeah, that contains the Marin County Library. Oh, okay. So it's a full-on civic center. They also use this location for George Lucas's sci-fi intro, THX 1138, in 1971, mm. which is wild because that movie is intentionally bright in a harsh way. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the opposite of this movie. And yet the interiors make the same kind of sense. Yeah. The exteriors of Eugene's apartment are the CLA building of Cal Poly Pomona, which was built by architect Antoine Pridoc. And all of this is just like old 40s, 50s, brutalist, German-inspired architecture. Like It's all block buildings in weird, futuristic shapes. Yeah, but that's pretty cool. And it's that weird thing of like, it ages the movie, mm -hmm. but in a way in which... And it didn't occur to me until talking about it, but it's like it's because it's aged in the way where these people who are in charge, the director, mm -hmm. wanted them to be created to look like. Yeah. Everything that they thought was the future is now the future. <laughs> Jerome's apartment, of course, has a helical staircase, just like DNA. Mm -hmm. And while the cars in the film were envisioned as electric which is why they're sort of zipping around so much. Yeah. The actual cars driven by the Hoovers are Rover P6 cars from Britain. They were built from 1963 to 1976, and they were popular with the police force for their speed. Vincent's car is a 1963 Studebaker Avanti, and Irene's car is a Citroen DS Cabriolet. All of these were futuristic vehicle designs in the mid to late 1960s. Okay. That's pretty cool. So again, just adding to this whole stylistic choice of how they made this movie. A fun little note, the icons used to denote valid versus invalid in the film are particularly important on the screens. For, quote, valids, an infinity symbol appears, denoting their infinite potential. For invalids, a dagger appears. That is a taxonomical scientific symbol for extinction. The dagger also has a cross shape, denoting that they are, quote, godchildren mm, okay and this just adds to my level of like my god he thought of everything the 12-fingered pianist is playing on a stage with a dozen red roses sitting next to him hmm. i mean yeah none of it feels like a mistake none of it is just like oh let's do that it's like no 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 this guy clearly thought all of this out yeah no i mean Here's the thing. It's a, it was his first at bat. He was going to do a good job. And he did. He did. It's frustrating because in order to do that job, you had to spend so much money to do it, obviously. Mm -hmm. But like, I feel like hopefully in his career, since he has gone on to have like a decent career, mm -hmm. that he can look back and go like, this movie still holds up amazingly well. <laughs> oh, yeah. People love it. We love it. And that brings us to our cast. And 
a whole bunch of people that we've never talked about on this show before. It just feels weird. It does, but I don't know. We've mentioned some of these people in passing, but we've never talked about them for the show. So we are going to start with Ethan Hawke playing Vincent and Jerome. Mm. Before this, he was in Explorers, Dead Poet Society, 1991's White Fang, Mystery Date, Alive from 1993, Reality Bites, Quiz Show, and Before Sunrise. After this, he was in 1998's Great Expectations, The Newton Boys, Snow Falling on Cedars, the 2000 version of Hamlet, Waking Life, Tape, Training Day, Before Sunset, the remake of Assault on Precinct 13, Lord of War, Fast Food Nation, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, Brooklyn's Finest, Daybreakers, Before Midnight, The Purge, Boyhood, Cymbeline, Good Kill, The Magnificent Seven from 2016, First Reformed, The Good Lord Bird on television, Waiting for Godot, The Black Phone, The Northman, and Moon Knight, and coming soon, he will be in Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. What do we think of Ethan Hawke in this film? I mean, I love him. He's great. Especially in the different phases that he goes through. I just... He he does the the buttoned up uptight really well, and then the flashbacks to him before he went on this journey also uh, kind of disheveled. Uh, this was definitely him being like, okay, I'm known as the guy from Reality Bites, and I I gotta do something different so that people can see me in something different. <laughs> I mean, it's true. That's that's what's happening, and it, it's just it's good. It's interesting because he he has always from the beginning taken on different kinds of roles yeah past like his child stardom phase sure he's always consistently done that but he was known for a certain thing because those movies got big right like before sunrise was a very different take than reality bites but it was also a really tiny movie that not that many people saw at the time (laughs) Mm -hmm. so this is definitely him stretching out for sure and it helped set him up to where he has been one of the most consistently untypecastable actors because he's just sort of said, I can do whatever. Mm-hmm. And he can be a leading man in all of it, but he does it in a way where he's different every time he's in it. He's the weird leading chameleon. It's a weird thing, weird spot for him, but it, it works really well. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that, yes, he's buttoned up, but he's buttoned up with all of that tension. Yes. It's it's not like the snootiness of everyone else around him, mm-hmm. where it's, we know we belong here. It's all of this ratcheted up to 11, no one can know who I am. <laughs> yeah, oh, sure. And then all of that just like coming to a head for him. I That to me is like the really cool part of watching his performance is how much he's trying to hold down all of these different flaming bowling pins he has to juggle this entire time (laughs) and yet at the same time you all of his ambition and his desire and dreams still just cannot be refused (laughs) like he can't hide any of that true he can hide all of the limitations and the different genetic reasons why they wouldn't let him in Mm -hmm. but he cannot hide his actual dream he made several different little choices that just made it not this really tense terse character and far more of a three-dimensional human being just doing their best to try to hide mm-hmm. in plain sight. 
He's really good. He's he's phenomenal. I I think he's also at a place where even Hawk is attractive, but he's not just hot. Because if he was just attractive and hot, you you don't believe the story. If he was like supermodel hot, (laughs) you just wouldn't believe it as much. He's got to have an everyman quality in order for for to this for this to feel believable. And Ethanok has that. Well, it's also interesting because all of his like romantic stuff up until then, when he's the romantic lead, he has a goatee. Yeah. This is one of the first times and like alive he's stranded on a mountain trapped in snow. Like this is the first time we really get him where he's like super clean shaven Ethan Hawk. Oh yeah. Because he's always like the goatee guy. Like this is where he's he he then has to be turned into like GQ man, which is fine. Yeah, but it doesn't fit him that well, which works for this movie. I don't know. That that plays really well into the movie for me. It's like he is not the guy who looks quite as attractive when he's super clean shaven and slicked back. Mm-hmm. And that to me reads all the more awkward for him when he has to pretend to be this way. Because mm-hmm. this is not who he is. When he's unkempt, it's like, this feels like Ethan Hawke when he's a janitor guy. <laughs> So I don't know. It's interesting. All right. Let's move on to somebody who fits very well into the clean slicked back look. That is one Uma Thurman as Irene. Mm-hmm. Before this, she was in Johnny B. Good, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, Dangerous Liaisons, Henry and June, Robin Hood in 1991, Mad Dog and Glory, Pulp Fiction, Beautiful Girls, The Truth About Cats and Dogs, and Batman and Robin. After this, she was in the dramatic version of Les Miserables from 1998. The Avengers, the spy movie, Sweet and Lowdown, Tape, Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2, Be Cool, Prime, The Producers in 2005, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief, Bellamy, Playing for Keeps, Nymphomaniac Volumes 1 and 2, The Slap on Television, The House That Jack Built, The War with Grandpa, Suspicion on Television, Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber on Television, and coming soon, she will be in Red, White, and Royal Blue. Oh, yeah. What do we think of Uma Thurman in this movie? Oh, I like her. Like, she's just so buttoned up. And it's just, there's a tone there with her where she's not like just a hard ass, but like she's just ambitious woman. And I, I like her. I like her. What I think is so fascinating is that you expect the film to take her on the journey because this is what a standard sci-fi movie would do. It would be like, oh, all of this is wrong. And I need to get away from it. And instead, where she winds up at the end is, all of this is wrong and a lie, and now what do I do with myself? Mm -hmm. Unlike Vincent, who's known it's a sham the whole time, and he's trying to break through it, she has believed in this world for so long. Mm -hmm. And when it has all fallen apart, and it really doesn't fully fall apart until she realizes the whole Jerome Eugene thing of it, yeah. That's when everything just breaks for her. Yeah. And we don't see her again because it's just like all of this, all of this is just shattered. And it doesn't help that she also has an issue that will prevent her from ever getting to the ultimate goal she wants. Mm-hmm. But it's also just the thing of, and now you tell me all of this was a lie. Like yeah. that to me reads in her performance, especially. Because it would be easy enough for her just to perform those standard beats, but she takes it a level further. Um, 
And, you know, I think it's it's wild, too, because like Ethan, this is very much more of a movie star breakthrough type thing. She'd already been in Pulp Fiction and Batman and Robin. Mm -hmm. Like that's the wild thing to me is she's already like a big fucking deal at this point. (laughs) So it's just like, oh, wow, you you are very much going in a completely new gear at this time. Mm -hmm. Um. And she's really good on that front and a great compliment and takes a character that I think could be two dimensional with a lesser actress. She does a great job. It's just the tone of like, she's not like just a hard ass. I didn't get that vibe from her, which typically, I don't know. And typically in this type of story, that's how the woman is played off. Well, and also Uma Thurman can be typecast into that a little bit. Sure. She has a very stern look about her. Yeah. Which, which is fine. I mean, it, it gets used to great advantages in other roles like the Avengers, like Kill Bill. Um, here, it's used in a, as a, kind of more deceptive. Well, it's it's hiding this much softer emotional well, the deep emotional well for her character. Well, let's move on to a very quick mention, but he's in the movie enough to get a main starring listing and credit. And that is one Gore Vidal. As director Joseph. Now, if you don't know who Gore Vidal is, he was a longtime writer, public intellectual, and commentarian on American public life. He was very gay. He was outstandingly liberal, and he battled with William F. Buckley constantly on national television. And I mean, Norman Mailer, anybody who was like holding themselves up as the pinnacle of conservatism or masculinity, Gore Vidal took incredible arrow shots the bullseye at them (laughs) that's what he did he has been in a handful of movies as well so before this he played Mm -hmm. himself in a whole bunch of things in small roles but the main movies he's been in as an actual actor are before this bob roberts and with honors and after this he was in igby goes down and shrink so very quickly what do we think of gore vidal in this film (laughs) <laughs> very unexpected <laughs> didn't realize who he was but you know he's he's the uptight you know business dude he just brings that absolute air of pomposity anywhere he shows up <laughs> like if you cast the man you expect him to just bring utter disdain for everyone below him mm-hmm. because Gore Vidal had absolute disdain for everyone below him. <laughs> oh yeah I mean, he's playing himself in a lot of ways, other than where he's not playing himself is he is very convincingly playing the absolute subtle fascism of it all. Mm -hmm. Like he, because that's the interesting thing. This movie, again, it's incredibly subtle. So it's touching on the eugenics and the, you know, good breeding principles of all of this in a very subtle way specifically because everyone here nobody needs to be indoctrinated this is just how the world is so it's not like we got to hammer you over the head with it right Mm -hmm. like it's like no it would be way more subtle and insidious than that and he's just very good at at both embodying that while also knowing all of the the former tracking points of his enemies to just get to spew in the script so he just got top billing because he was a big fucking deal. <laughs> oh, sure. Let's move on to somebody who does have a sizable role and is fucking delightful in this movie. Oh, yeah. That is Jude Law as Jerome and Eugene. Mm-hmm. We have not 
talked about Jude Law as a main character on this show. Mm-hmm. We have mentioned him once as an Arpon. Oh. Before this, he was in I Love You, I Love You Not, Bent, and Wild. He also did a ton of theater and television before he ever got on screen. Mm-hmm. After this, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, Existence, The Talented Mr. Ripley, Enemy at the Gates, AI, Road to Perdition, Cold Mountain, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, I Heart Huckabee's Alfie from 2005, Closer, The Aviator, All the King's Men, The Holiday, My Blueberry Nights, The Sleuth Remake from 2007, The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, Sherlock Holmes from 2009, Repo Men, Contagion, Hugo, Sherlock Holmes, Game of Shadows, Anna Karenina in 2012, Side Effects, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Spy, Genius, The Young Pope, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, Fox Lux, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, Captain Marvel, The Rhythm Section, The New Pope, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, and coming soon, he's going to play Captain Hook in Peter Pan and Wendy, he's going to play Henry VIII in Firebrand, a movie about one of his wives, and he's going to be in Sherlock Holmes 3. The man is booked and busy. Yeah, he's fabulous. Oh my goodness. And this was like his small role before uh talented mr ripley this is along with probably midnight in the garden of good of good and mm-hmm. evil this is probably like just the moment before he's a full-fledged leading man like people who are paying attention would have seen this but and then like oh that dude that dude's gonna be awesome yeah but yeah but he'd been in just like british little indie productions before this bent and mm-hmm. wild are not big films So, like, this is a true breakthrough moment for him. And, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, he's delightful and amusing and fun. Oh. And heartbreaking. Oh, it is hard. Well, here's what's interesting about the heartbreaking is that you have to, like, like, you have to hate this guy. Because he's a dick. He's just a dick. But then as you get to know him, you know, you, you, you just, you start to feel a little sorry for him. And once he truly accepts that... He threw, he was given everything and he threw it away. And here, this other guy was basically given nothing in this world and he is going for it. Yeah. Like, oh, I was meant to be second. That's what's so poetic when he puts on the silver medal. Like, that's what I was meant for. I was meant to be second. The, the heartbreak is, is very bittersweet. It's sure. not one of those where you're just like, oh, what a tragic person. It's just like, no, just what a. What a sweet moment of self-recognition. I don't mm-hmm. particularly love the way his character ends. No. But it's it's heavy-handed, honestly, mm-hmm. from a storytelling perspective. Like, setting aside content warning, of course, for a mention of suicide, mm-hmm. setting aside the problematic nature of that, it's just, as a story device, it's very heavy-handed. Oh, I don't, I don't disagree with that. Um, but I fully understand it. Uh, yes. I just would have liked it better if instead he was just like, this is what I was destined for. And he just sort of disappears. He's like, I'm just going to go and I'm going to go experience the world just as nothing as whoever this person I am. Like that to me feels a little bit more poetic for him. No, but see, he can't. That's the thing. In this world, who he he cannot leave. He can't go and be anything yeah. because Jerome, he is now Eugene. Jerome is going to space so he has fulfilled like jerome is doing what he never could yeah like that's what's so insane and so like him accepting that and be like i was meant to be second this is my job and so then he spent all that time 
filling those refrigerators with all the blood and urine and and stuff skin skin hair all of that gunk so that if it if vincent ever needed it it would be there for him because it's like there's nothing else for me to do and 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 it is sad that he 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 commits suicide but that is i i I do think that's a poetic way for him to end it on his Mm. terms i've fulfilled my duty i'm like i don't love it but i'm okay with it (laughs) it's different different times and different ways of of storytelling and it's sure sure, it's a fantastical story already so Mm -hmm. it it, i give it a little bit of leeway there Mm -hmm. all of that boils down to that if he's not being so roguishly charming the whole fucking time yeah and also being such a good actor that he can also read you can also read all the pain in his face and his eyes yeah all through that like you hate him he's a dick and then you also see just how destroyed he is mm-hmm. because he knows he has zero chance in this world yeah and it's just like he's so pitch perfect and you're like my god you were always this good God damn, Jude Law. He's been great forever. He's still great now. All right, I get one who could have been better here. Mm-hmm. Johnny Depp. <sighs> he turned it down to direct his own film, The Brave, mm. which, whatever. Um, I, 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 Him again, I mean, it, it couldn't be against Ethan Hawke. That's just... No. Because no. you, you have to have two people who could plausibly be confused for each other. Him in this position in a film, I think, could be very interesting. I mean, maybe, but I think he's probably a better choice for Vincent if you're going to do that. I think that would be too expected. Again, you got to have, especially at this time, I don't think you could say Johnny Depp wasn't like the heartthrob. I don't, I don't. But he was the bad boy. He was, that's, see, that's the thing. I don't, I don't like him in that. For this movie, I like him in the second position, not the first. Maybe he just shouldn't be in the movie. Hmm. All right, let's move on to probably our least known actor, but he's got a very significant role. This is Lauren Dean playing Anton. Now, I'm going to give you credits. Before this, he was in Say Anything, Billy Bathgate, 1492 Conquest of Paradise, Apollo 13, How to Make an American Quilt, and Mrs. Winterbourne. After this, he was in Starstruck, Enemy of the State, Mumford, Space Cowboys, The Mule, and Ad Astra. Now, here's where I know you know him. In Apollo 13, he is the engineer guy who's working with Gary Sinise in the Lem thing to get the amps and the electrical right. He's that guy with glasses. Okay. I was like, who the heck is this guy? And I didn't even put him on here because I didn't know his name. But then after I put those two and two together, I was like, okay, that's where I fucking know him. (laughs) He's interesting. He's one of the weaker characters in the script. But. How, How so? Because I feel like. Part of my part of my problem with this character is that it doesn't feel quite as fleshed out as the others in the movie. Yeah, considering the fact that I occasionally get confused with like, wait, who is this guy? That's that's very true. The twist reveal, because again, it's pretty evident pretty quick to all of us that it's like, oh, that's his brother. That's his brother who's now on the case. But Vincent ignores that. And they they try to play it off as this twist. And it shouldn't have been a twist like that. Vincent should have known it's his brother the whole fucking time versus Anton having the problem of they're all blind to the fact that somebody like Vincent could pass himself off in that room. Mm -hmm. And Anton's 
sensing it and feeling like he's getting closer to that, like that's the tension there. Mm -hmm. Because that's the whole point of that is like nobody's looking for someone who's not genetically superior here. Mm -hmm. Nobody's thinking that that's a possibility. They'll recognize me. They won't recognize me. They'll recognize me. I don't recognize you. They won't marry the eyelash to you. They won't believe that one of their elite could have suckered them all this time. No, 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 no. We change nothing. We do as we planned. You're Jerome Morrow, navigator first class. I'm not Jerome Morrow. And so even Anton is blinded to that. And that just never gets paid off. He's like the one weak link through the whole thing. I think they muddied it by having his brother be the cop. I think it would have been better. So like they get his DNA because of an eyelash or eyebrow hair. Uh, what, I can't remember what it was. It's, it's, it's a lash. Yeah. Okay, it's an eyelash. And so they, they got the real guy. So they've got to track down his brother. And I think it's through that where we, we, we get, you know, follow up with Anton and Anton starts poking around Gattaca just because of whatever uh, his position is in the world. He can't, he can do that. And he figures it out. And, and then they can have those same interactions, but he's not the cop because the cop part of it just makes that's that, that really is the only implausible part of the story. I, I don't think so. I think it's more the central tension of what's going on there. So they make him the cop, right? Mm-hmm. And there are times where they telegraph that Anton knows and he's trying to keep it hidden. And then they telegraph times where he's not quite sure what's going on. And I think, and then it just gets mixed. I think it's much better if there's something so familiar about this guy that we're trying to track down, but I don't know what it is. Because as we'll get to, mm-hmm. there's specific choices made in the movie to obscure the fact that it's actually Vincent. Like he wouldn't recognize Vincent just based off of all of the information they have. Mm-hmm. So I think it's far more that they they never committed fully with that. And it should have been that he doesn't know who this is. He doesn't know who this is. And then it's not until that last moment with Eugene mm-hmm. and then him finding out the director and him finally putting these pieces together of like, we caught our guy, but there's something much deeper here. Yeah. And they just never committed to that storytelling. Like, it's just it's just a badly written character. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, I could see it going either way. I just, I don't hate him being the lead detective. I just, there there should have been a lot more of him. Like, there's something so familiar about this person. They just never did it. He's doing a fine job, though. Like, the actor's not bad. Sure. It's just, it's a, it's a weak character in an otherwise pretty strong movie. And that leads us to our final cop. That is one Alan Arkin playing Detective Hugo. Mm -hmm. Before this, he was in The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, Wait Until Dark, Inspector Clouseau. Yes, he played Inspector Clouseau in a non-Pink Panther movie. The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, Catch-22 from 1970, Little Murders, The In-Laws. He was in The Emperor's New Clothes episode of Fairy Tale Theater, Diana. (laughs) <laughs> Big Trouble, Edward Scissorhands, The Rocketeer, Glengarry Glen Ross, So I Married an Axe Murderer, North, The Jerky Boys, Gross Point Blank, and Four Days in September. After this, he was in Slums of Beverly Hills, Jacob the Liar, America's Sweethearts, Little Miss Sunshine, The Santa Claus 3, The Escape Clause, 
Sunshine Cleaning, Get Smart, Marley and Me, The Change Up, The Muppets, Argo, Dumbo from 2019, and Minions, The Rise of Gru. He's had an interesting career in the, in the past few years. He's making bank, though, so I can't blame him. He's just doing whatever he wants. What do we think of Alan Arkin in this movie? He's great. He feels very 40s cop. I, 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 he's very gruff. He's, um, as a person, is a very starkly different from all of the Gattaca people, which is good. He should be. I love how detached he is, too. Sure. It's like, this is just a job. Some of his mannerisms, he almost feels like a robot. Mm-hmm. He, or like an android or like not some type of like detective robot type thing instead of an actual person. It's really interesting. And some of that's just like Alan Arkin being a, a little bit oddball because that's what he does. But it's a little bit more than just that hard-boiled detective thing. But also some of it is like he's constantly hamstrung by the fact that he is not the superior person in charge. Mm -hmm. Like the age difference between him and Anton really plays. Oh, yeah. (laughs) In an interesting way Mm -hmm. of him being like, you know, we have these leads here. No, I'm in. Who's in charge of this investigation? And you're like. Okay, little child. (laughs) Not like I haven't been doing this for decades. Just don't. Just don't. But he has to defer to Anton. Like every time, even when he's like, this is totally wrong, but Mm -hmm. okay, I have to do what you tell me to. I'm not in charge. And that's interesting. That is there's there's little bits and pieces that again. A lesser actor would play really kind of straight or it wouldn't play at all. But getting a guy like Alan Arkin makes those moments really stand out. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's just what makes him so good. And that leads us to our pawns. Random people of note. Ernest Borgnine playing Caesar, the head janitor. It's Cabby. It's Cabby. Love him. And I also love he totally knew too. Oh, of course he knew. Well, they kind of kept it vague, but the thing that kept it away from me was that when Jerome Vincent is coming down the stairway and he's there and he's got something in his hand, he's going to throw away and he takes it from him mm-hmm. to keep. And and it's just like he knew because it was to keep it out of like the regular trash or whatever. But also he gives that line to Caesar. I'm going to be up there one day. Mm hmm. Xander Berkeley playing Lamar, the doctor who knew. Mm-hmm. This guy was Ralph in Heat, who Pacino tells to sit the fuck down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Jane Brooke playing Marie. I believe this is his mother. Uh, she had runs on Chicago Hope, and she's now on Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. Elias Cateus playing Antonio, Vincent's father. This is Casey Jones from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes, he is. In her film debut as... A delivery nurse, Maya Rudolph. What? Uh Uh-huh. What? That's no. Hang on just a moment. I'm going to text you a picture. Weird. Shouldn't even get any lines. No. I mean, again, very first film role ever. And it's totally not the Maya Rudolph we know at all. No, she's fabulous on loot right now. Elizabeth Dennehy playing the preschool teacher. This is, yes, the daughter of Brian Dennehy. Very cool. Blair Underwood as the geneticist. He was in Deep Impact, Rules of Engagement. He's done shit tons of television. He's Mm -hmm. a big deal. Mason Gamble playing younger Vincent. 
He was Dennis in Dennis the Menace. Really? Yes. <laughs> okay. Tony Shaloub playing German. He is, of course, Monk. Oh, yeah. He's fabulous. As the very annoyed sequencing technician, Ken Marino, the state children's hospital, and Jen Freeman's best friend. Hi, Jen. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Just an annoyed voice behind a wall. As the Gattaca trainer, Gabrielle Reese. Yeah. Pro volleyball player, announcer, mm-hmm. and model who often portrays herself. But this was her film debut, and it's a very smart little cameo for her. Yeah, no, she's great. Like, I saw her and I was like, wait, I know her. I was like, oh, yeah, she was a big fucking deal in the 90s. She's still a big deal, but she just doesn't do as much as, you know, unless it's Olympics time. But it's it's one of those choices that it's like, okay, look, Gabrielle Reese makes sense in like, I don't know, like an Adam Sandler comedy, right? Mm-hmm. But in this movie, it's just so smart. Oh, yeah. Like, put somebody that's a super big fitness model. Sure. In this moment of the movie, and you're just like, God damn it, Andrew Nickel. <laughs> oh, yeah. Playing a cop on the beat, Dean Norris. <laughs> Hank Schrader. He's a little younger, he's a little less gruff, but you notice him the second his voice storms out. <laughs> He'll always be Hank Schrader. Mm hmm. George Marshall Ruga as the beaten detective. This guy was a stunt coordinator for the Lord of the Rings and Pirates movies and the National Treasure movies. Did a lot of good stuff. Mm-hmm. And finally, playing a Gattacan citizen, Greg Sestero. That's right. Mark from the Room appeared in Gattaca a few years before he met Tommy Wiseau. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. All sorts of weird 90s shit coming together in this movie. All right, that'll take us to trivia. Trivia. When originally released, there were advertisements as part of some early viral marketing for people to call to have their children genetically engineered. Thousands of people called the number looking to take advantage of the offer. Mm-hmm. Creepy as fuck. Oh no, people would do this today if they could. I know. I, I mean... I get it. You, like it, and they they state it perfectly. If you could give your kid the best start possible, wouldn't you do it? Of course, of course. But this is this is where science isn't about shoulda. It's all about coulda. The whole point of the movie is trying to talk around the ethics, morality, and even sort of like the soul nature of this discussion. Sure. Well, uh, well, ultimately, it's genetics play a factor. And they can open certain doors, but they cannot, they, and they can close certain doors, but that has nothing to do with someone's potential. No. And it tells, it, it tells that story in an incredibly beautiful way that does not feel like it's hammering you over the head. No. And that's why it still feels very relevant today. Yes. Um, if you made this movie today, I feel like it would play a lot more on gender and race as it should. It should have here. But those themes are completely applicable. Yeah. While Vincent is supposed to be shorter than Jerome and has to have surgery to stretch his legs, in real life, Ethan Hawke is about a half an inch taller than Jude Law. Mm-hmm. That's funny. At one time, this was voted by NASA scientists as the most accurate science fiction film ever made. Mm, okay. In a deleted scene, we do learn that Caesar, the cleaner, knows all along that Jerome is Vincent. They very explicitly state it instead of implying it. 
It would have been a nice little bow on everything, but I kind of like that it's a more subtle nod in the end. While the entire genetic editing part of this movie was incredibly science fiction at the time, when it meant in 2012, Nobel Prize winners Emmanuel Charpentier and Jennifer Doudna created the CRISPR-Cas9, which allows for full genetic sequencing. A lot of the things in this movie are based around some of the early research that we have now fully been able to decipher. Mm-hmm. We are able to fully genetically decode things. Now, we haven't gotten into the full implications of that. I know that they've done some early experiments on like genetic editing and things like that, but far more they've been able to map a good chunk of the genetic identity, which is incredibly useful for things like healthcare, but also causes a lot of concerns, <laughs> like we talk about in this fucking movie. Mm-hmm. Also, some have noted that Gattaca's business ideals and uh, structure are very similar to a current little space exploration startup known as SpaceX. Yep. Oh, God. <laughs> when they brought up that point, here's what's so funny is like we talk about this and it's such a prescient film, but also part of the poignancy of this film is undercut by the fact that the people running these ventures now are the dumbest humans in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't get a director Joseph, we get fucking Elon. Yeah. Who's, at this point, not even a Bond villain, he's just a walking douchebag. <laughs> Literal bag of douches. I mean, he's Schumacher, Batman-era villain. Bad puns and no substance. Yeah. Just, it's- I mean, like, you, you almost wish that you had somebody who was a real mastermind behind any of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that's the that's the one part of this that is just like, oh man, the timeline's so much dumber. Oh sure. <laughs> and finally, the ID photo for Jerome is actually a digitally morphed photo to merge both Ethan Hawke and Jude Law's faces. I did know that. <laughs> it's not one or the other. Yeah. Which is such a smart move. Well, it's smart, and it's also telegraphs to the audience. See, like they're so like they're so similar. See how believable this is? I mean, it plays off pretty well. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. The photo doesn't do a whole lot of convincing, honestly. Like the whole time I'm like, this looks like Ethan Hawke. I don't. How did they not figure this out? But that's the point. That's the point. I know. It's supposed to signal that that's who it is. And that's fine. Again, they make the absolute best point. Because even Vincent is like, I don't understand. This is so stupid. And Eugene just looks at him and is like, you don't get it. They don't think you're capable of this. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the moment where it sealed the deal for me, where it's just like, oh, yeah, they would just be blind to that fact. And, and, you know, part of this is this is before we entered a very strong surveillance state. That's another thing about this movie that would be very different now. Mm-hmm. But at that time, the surveillance wasn't as strong. And when you are in with the in crowd, nobody wants to see you as anything other than. Sure. Well, and. And the difference is we have a similar level of surveillance. It's just not collecting DNA. That's true. (laughs) Uh, Well, they also make that point that the surveillance is not based on faces and trying to match things. It's all based around the genetics. Mm -hmm. And so the blind spot is that you can easily pass through that. That's just machines. (laughs) Yeah. We're not looking at people behind the camera trying to pinpoint your every move. Yeah. And that leads us to ratings. For every film, we have a specific rating system. For this one, it's got to be those cute little spaceships, right? I mean, yeah. 
those little 1930s spaceships rocketing into the sky. Yeah, special spaceships. They're very precious in some mm-hmm. ways, but that was kind of the point, so I don't blame them too much. Sure. Well, this is your movie. You have to go first. I'm going to go four. Uh, it's just, it's a really strong story, really strong direction, great cast. Just like really the brother is who I'd fix, or you could kind of delete that for me and I think I'd be fine. But I I enjoyed watching it now as much as I did before. And I know I watched it several times back in the 90s. So I, yeah, it's four. It's a solid four. It's, a, it's, a, it's an incredibly well-told story with some gaps here and there mm-hmm. that not only just kind of leave you scratching your head especially with somebody like Anton but also at times you know, just talk about like it, it does just drag a little bit when it doesn't need to yeah that's not for one of trying and the sheer ambition of the movie and then nailing 90% of that in a way where it always feels believable and it has a lot of hope and optimism without feeling like sickly sweet mm-hmm. it's really fucking good yeah it's just a really good movie. So yeah, you got to go watch it. Okay. Well, we did our sci-fi movie. Now it's time to go talk about witches. Oh, witches. But specifically, maybe some silly witches. Oh, okay. Because we're going to talk about a rom-com that I didn't ever think I'd actually sit down and watch, but it has some really fun people in it. It does. We're going to watch Practical Magic. Classic. A classic. And there definitely needs to be a sequel. I don't know why I've never had a desire to watch this movie. I mean, I don't think you're its target audience, but I am shocked that you didn't have it. It wasn't playing in your house at some point for you to like watch. This movie was never marketed to me in any form or fashion that I think would be interesting. No, no. Huh. I don't know. It's going to be an interesting ride. I found myself on the side being like, what the fuck was I doing missing these rom-coms? So yeah. Because whenever I make you watch one, it's amazing. So until next time, have a good movie. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.